Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Perspectives Podcast. I'm Dina Peck, Chief Creative Officer at Patients and Purpose. And alongside me, virtually, is Susan Andreas, our Director of Health Literacy at PMP. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Grapevine Health, an infectious disease physician, a medical epidemiologist, and a health literacy maven. You also may know her as Dr. Lisa on the street. We're really excited to get to talk to you, Lisa, about health literacy because it's something we've always been incredibly passionate about at Patients and Purpose. So you founded a company called Grapevine Health. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how it's connected to health literacy? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, but first, thanks for having me. I, I always appreciate an opportunity to talk about health literacy and uh, why I started Grapevine Health. Grapevine Health is a company that focuses on improving understanding of health information for particularly for low-income populations, uh, people who are insured by Medicaid and Medicare. And the reason I'm focusing on this population is because I think this is the group that's most often left out of innovations and interventions, but the population that most often needs assistance. So low health literacy, I think, is the gateway to great health care and great health outcomes. So we want to help with that. What about the name of the company? Can you talk about the role of the Grapevine? I named the company Grapevine Health after completing a research study assessing people's access to technology. We were looking at whether or not underserved communities have access to the internet. And during the data collection, I decided to add a, a question about how people access trusted health information. And over 50% of the people we talked to said they get their trusted health information from friends and family or on the grapevine. And I think not just for, for this population, but for most of us, a lot of the information we get is from people we trust. So I want Grapevine Health to become a trusted, a known trusted uh, health messenger uh, for underserved populations. That's amazing. We've, we've also seen how you've uh, started to post your, your presence, right? Dr. Lisa on the street, as, mm -hmm. as you refer to yourself, <laughs> and we love that. Um, but we've seen some of your, your social posts. Can you tell us more about why you've moved to social as well? Well, during, you know, I've, I've always thought that the internet is an underutilized uh, resource to improve access to trusted health information. But during the pandemic, it's become even more important because we're not able to access people or congregate in the ways that we were interacting with people before the pandemic. People are on their phones almost, well, I don't have to tell you, we're, you know, we are on Zoom all day long nowadays. But, you know, I think if we can reach people where they're already paying attention, it's that much easier to get them to engage. And the other reason I think using video and video that incorporates the community is important 
is because it has a little bit of an entertainment flair to it. Um, there's a lot of health information out there that's really dry, and a lot of it's not tailored. Um, it's one size fits all. So we are very good about putting out pamphlets or directing people to our websites with very generic information. Uh, but I thought if we could, if we could figure out how to deliver health information through video and video that incorporates the people we're trying to help, that would be a really compelling way for us to not only educate, but engage people and get them to keep engaging with us. So that's why it's such a huge component of our work. And it started with Dr. Lisa on the street. Um, I got the idea from Jay Leno jaywalking. I was watching that one night and I thought, wow, this is, you know, why don't we do this for health? Because it's, it's entertaining, but people can also learn something. So I found a videographer and we went out and tried it and the rest is history. That's amazing. How many, how many have you done so far? Probably seven or eight videos on different topics. You know, our first video was on the flu and you know, I was really humbled by how little people know about the flu. Uh, but I, I would say the most surprising thing uh, I found about the flu is the number of people who don't believe it's necessary to get a flu vaccine. Or, not that it's not necessary, but they believe it's harmful. And a few people said, well, I don't like getting a flu shot because every time I get the flu shot, I get the flu. And I hear people saying that all the time. And so the health literacy opportunity there is to explain to people or help people understand what's happening when you get a flu shot. It's not that you're getting the flu. It's that your body is mounting a response to help you fight off the flu. And when you explain that, people say, oh, okay, I didn't know that or I never thought about that. So, you know, I, I just think the in-person uh, connection with people around different health topics just really adds um, an element um, that you don't see in any other uh, method of communication. Are there any other memorable encounters that you've had? Or can you talk about another time where you've been really surprised by what someone doesn't know? Yeah, so I think there are two things. So one memorable thing I'll talk about, but also just a general comment about how healthcare providers take for granted what people understand at baseline. And because we don't understand how people are confused about basic health information, like what's gone wrong with your body if you have diabetes? So people might be able to say there's something wrong with the sugar, but they can't tell you what's wrong with the sugar. Or they might say, well, you have too much sugar, but they can't connect the dots between what's happened and the sugar. So I think that applies to lots of different health conditions. I think we have to do a better job helping people understand the how, like how is this working in your body and why? Why has it gone wrong so that people can connect the dots? A memorable story, and, it, and this, this moment is actually in one of the video clips um, I have on YouTube. It's the day we were talking about diabetes. And I was standing outside a grocery store and a gentleman walked out with his grocery bags and he said, what are you all talking about? Because he saw me talking to people in the camera also. Sometimes when people see the camera, they want to know, are you a TV station? Like, what are you talking about? 
So I said, we're talking about diabetes. Uh, We're trying to see if people know about diabetes. He says, oh, I know about diabetes. I got diabetes. I said, well, okay, well, talk to us. And he knew all the answers to the questions. What is diabetes? How do you treat diabetes? How do you prevent diabetes? So he knew all the answers. And I said, well, you seem to know a lot about diabetes. That's great. Can we look in your bag? Let's see what you bought at the store. And his bags were full of junk food. And it was just a teachable moment about, and and it also showed us that even though a person can know some of these things, it doesn't necessarily translate to some action. And he told us that because it was the weekend, he only eats like that on the weekend. So maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't, but it's definitely one of the most memorable on the street moments. And it was funny. I mean, he, he really took it in stride. And I, I would love to see us do more, um, more activities like that, being with people in the grocery store or following them around to see what their environment is like and where the opportunities are uh, to shift some of their behaviors. That's incredibly interesting. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little bit. Um, when we were talking earlier this week, you said something really poignant about patients which was somewhat of a quote, if I can't understand you, I don't trust you. Can you tell our listeners about that and how, how is trust built in, in your mind? I really appreciate you asking this question because I believe trust is foundational uh, to good health outcomes. A lot of people we interact with are not engaged in healthcare because they either don't trust the healthcare system or there was some erosion of trust as a result of the interaction they had in the healthcare system or with a healthcare provider. So that quote you're referring to is from a gentleman I met when I was working in a homeless shelter and I was talking to them about their challenges getting plugged in and engaged in healthcare and why people choose not to stay engaged in healthcare. And he said, well, you know, doctors use a lot of big words and they try to confuse you. And I don't understand half the things they're saying. So if I don't understand you, I don't trust you. So that was the context for that comment. But it's really relevant for, I would say, the majority of the people we come across. But it's, you know, not just them. It's me too. If someone is speaking to me in Greek and they're laughing Why wouldn't I think they're laughing at me? Or why wouldn't I, you know, why wouldn't I be concerned that I can't participate or I don't know what's happening? So that same, that same um, experience happens for a lot of people in the healthcare system. It's not Greek, but it's Greek to them because we are using big words that they don't understand and we don't take the time to break it down. I was at a community meeting a few months ago and doctors had come into the community to talk about cancer awareness. And doctor after doctor stood up to educate the community about different aspects of cancer. And I just took out my notebook and I started writing down all the words they were saying that I knew people in the audience didn't understand. And the most egregious one was oligometastatic. First of all, the word has multiple syllables, 
but it's a really intimidating word. And if you don't have someone helping you understand what that means, how do you know if it relates to you or if you should even care about it? So for me, building trust is about being proximal, listening, and responding and communicating in a way that connects with people. That's amazing. I mean, trust is is the basis of every relationship, right? Sure, absolutely. And why should healthcare be any different? But we don't pay attention to it. Exactly. Yeah, I've never thought of it in terms of trust before. You know, for as long as we've been working with health literacy, it has never occurred to me that using plainer language or making things easier to understand for patients can actually improve the trust relationship, which can therefore lead to better health outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that trust is something critical for every relationship, but I think that often people don't really think about trust when it comes to their connection that they have to have with their doctor. I, I agree with that. I think, well, let, I'll, I'll illustrate it with an anecdote. So sometimes when we have group discussions or focus groups with Medicaid patients, I might ask, how do you know if you can trust your doctor? And a lot of times people can't answer that question. And I think the reason they can't answer it is because it's an intuition. It's a sense rather than something tangible you can put your finger on. So a woman said, I don't really know how to answer that, but I just can, you know, I just feel it. I feel it in my gut. I know it. And I definitely think healthcare providers in particular need to spend time figuring out how to build trust, even if it's not something you could measure, you know, something concrete like, okay, this is how many visits a person kept, or this is how many uh, refills that were picked up from the pharmacy. We have to learn how to measure trust uh, in a way that you know, people can get behind. Yeah, totally agree. Can you talk about a time that surprised you regarding a patient's misunderstanding of information? You know, one of the things that we always talk about at PNP is how universal a problem low health literacy really is. Um, You know, it's really not a reflection of how educated someone is or how smart they are. Um, You know, we really believe that the reality is, is that when you get a really scary diagnosis, it's hard to hear whatever the doctor says after that. So, you know, being sick is stressful and health information sort of by nature is hard to understand and hard to retain, especially when you're the one that's sick. Um, so I was just wondering if you could talk about a time that surprised you um, in terms of what someone didn't understand or didn't hear. Sure. And I think a lot of it's just related to the language and uh, people not understanding, first of all, their bodies, how they work and then how to apply the information they're getting from their doctor or provider um, to their body. So the first example is a woman who I saw just last week on a house call and she had a midline scar on her belly and I'd never seen her before. So I said, what is this scar from? She said, oh, I got that from my colonoscopy. And I said, 
I don't think so. She said, are you listening to me? I'm telling you, this is from my colonoscopy. So I explained to her how a colonoscopy is done. And she said, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Okay, on my colonoscopy, they found blah, blah, blah. And then she connected the dots and was able to tell me why she had the scar. But I think that, you know, confusion around language, it's so easy to do if we're not explaining what's happening and helping people distinguish between uh, the different procedures and the things we prescribe and diagnoses. And the other one that comes to mind, which is uh, reflective of uh, missed opportunities to explain medications to people. A woman ended up in the emergency department because she didn't understand how to take her medication. So I don't know if you've ever had medication prescribed, but on the bottle, it might say, take one tablet twice a day or take one, you know, one tablet two times a day. She thought she could, it was okay to take two pills at once because for her taking it twice, it, the, the concept wasn't around the time she takes it. It was how many pills she takes. And because she took two pills at once, she ended up in the hospital because she uh, dropped her blood pressure. And so that could have been potentially a really catastrophic outcome. Uh, But, you know, luckily uh, that was easily reversed. But I think there are lots lots of examples like that in which we are not doing a great job helping people understand the details around the instructions we're giving them. And we're also not asking them to, you know, do you understand what I'm talking about? Or explain it to me. You know, teach back is a very common uh, recommended approach to improving health literacy. And I think teach back works to a point as long as the person's not simply parroting We have to go beyond and make sure people understand and not just are able to repeat what you say. Yeah, for sure. Um, Speaking of teaching and and just our our world right now with with COVID-19, how have you seen low health literacy levels affect the spread of COVID-19 and and what is Dr. Lisa on the street seeing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for asking. So um, during the pandemic, uh, my team and I, and my team, you know, they're great. Um, I have a medical student. I've got some public health grad students, um, and a and a young man who's really passionate about community outreach. Who's from the community. So um, we go out and talk to people to to hear what they're talking about and what's going on. And my biggest concern was that people may not understand the symptoms of COVID. So our first few times out, we were really inquiring about that, asking people to tell us the symptoms of COVID. Because if you don't understand the symptoms of COVID, the result can be catastrophic because the the person can continue to spread the infection unknowingly. And that, and a lot of the people we ran into or we've run into on the street are not wearing masks. So imagine they have a subtle symptom like back pain or maybe they're having some muscle aches, but they're not debilitating and they're not connecting 
these symptoms, you know, the muscle pain with the potential to have COVID and they're out and about without a mask. Uh, I think this is why we're seeing a lot of transmission because of um, lack of understanding about the range of symptoms. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the three main symptoms and sure, they're the most common fever, cough, and shortness of breath. But a lot of people aren't presenting with those symptoms. And so I think uh, that that's a huge opportunity for us. So we've been trying to educate people, not just in the community on the ground, but through uh, some of our videos and online presence about the symptoms of COVID. I think the other thing that's um, challenging is the abundance of myths and misinformation about COVID, such as um, when you drink, if you drink hot water, you can't get COVID because it kills the virus in your stomach. That's an early uh, piece of misinformation that was floating on social media for weeks. Um, there was also a rumor that black people are immune to COVID. It started out as a joke, but it actually took hold. And uh, we we're still hearing people saying, well, but we, we're not, you know, black people can't really get COVID, right? Um, but I, and I think a lot of people are not paying attention to the, the data and the information we're seeing in the media about how COVID and coronavirus infection are disproportionately affecting uh, black and brown communities. Well, there's, a, there's a, an absolute connection to the grapevine, right? In if you hear something, for example, the, the thought that um, people who are black will not get COVID and somebody tells another person, tells another person, tells another person, that's, that's when the grapevine is dangerous, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And this, this happens all the time. We were out, what's today? Uh, two days ago, we were out and um, asking people, well, where are you getting your health information about coronavirus? And some people just said the streets. And then a couple people said, well, I hear things on the radio. So we would ask, okay, well, what radio stations are you listening to? And then some could name the radio stations and some couldn't. And I think it's important for us to gather that kind of information because we can figure out where people are listening and paying attention and try and be in those spaces as well. Yeah, for sure. So if you, if you had to prioritize, what do you think is the number one thing patients can do to ensure they actually understand and can then better retain information their doctors give them. So what can patients do? Hmm, that's a good question. For me, the most important thing they can do is ask questions and speak up when they don't understand something. Countless patients have sat, listened to the information, nodded their heads, and then walked out only to have us realize they didn't quite connect the dots. And, you know, since I came to this realization, I've, you know, started teaching with visual aids because I think, again, once you can help people understand how and why, uh, the information will resonate more, I think. And this is why we use things like the Oregon model or the skeleton so when we're telling people coronavirus affects the lungs, you can show them where the lungs are and have a conversation uh, about that so they can begin to think about it in terms of their own body. 
So I, you know, I want to encourage patients to really be engaged and involved in their care and not be afraid to speak up or stop the provider and say, can you explain that again? Or I didn't understand that term you used um, or tell me that in a different way. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So to flip it, and we've already touched on this a little bit, in your view, what is the number one thing physicians can do to help this problem? What can physicians do to ensure that patients can understand and retain and use the health information that they're given? Yeah, for me, that has to be speaking in plain language. Uh, you know, it's because we learn, we learn so much complex information when we're training, it becomes second nature. You know, it's, an, it's uh, speaking, you know, like learning Spanish. So we, we learn medical terminology and we spend a lot of time talking to each other, going to conferences when we use these lang- this language, and you can even see a lot of this language when you watch television, commercials, and so on. And so I think a lot of providers take it for granted that people understand um, even what the commercials are saying. But if you, wa- you know, for example, if you watch one of these drug advertisements on television, some of the language they use, it's as if they're reading the package insert on the television and not explaining anything. So I, I think a lot of the uh, lack of attention to plain language is because uh, we take for granted that because people hear these terms or they may see them, uh, that they already understand and we don't have to take the time uh, to explain. Yeah, and that and that probably just helps build the the distrust that we talked about earlier, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if there are marketers and agency folks listening to this, what's your one piece of advice in how they can do a better job communicating to patients? I think crafting messages for a specific audience demands um, spending time with that audience to figure out how they communicate and what they need. I think the, the, the disservice a lot of health communications and marketing organizations and entities um, uh, are doing for community is that they're not taking time to understand those things. It, it's very time and labor intensive. And, you know, I think for a lot of companies, time is money. And I think uh, by doing research on the internet and um, talking to people about their experiences with the population, they feel they have uh, adequate information to design these uh, information campaigns or marketing uh, campaigns. But, you know, I, w- I would just ask them to think about it. How have we improved health outcomes with the existing marketing strategies that are out there now? And if we aren't achieving the outcomes we want, why is that? What's missing? And I would suggest that what's missing is that direct connection to the communities you're marketing to and the, the lack of deep understanding of what it takes to communicate with them. So my recommendation would be to get proximal. That's amazing. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for, for being with us. Uh, it's a pleasure to be in your presence, even virtually. I, I think the work you're doing is pretty amazing. So thank you so much for, for being with us. Thank you so much for taking the time. 
this has really been eye-opening for us. Um, and I think we learned a lot, you know, no matter how much time we spend on health literacy and how much we think we know, there's always different perspectives. You're welcome. And thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. It's uh, such a lively and engaging conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you all found this incredibly informative. Susan and I are big fans of Dr. Lisa and hope you are too. Dr. Lisa has really shown how low health literacy affects a patient's health, how tech and social media is a great way to educate patients, and that plain language promotes trust in and out of the doctor's office. We all have a role to play in navigating this issue. Be sure to follow PMP and also Dr. Lisa on the street on LinkedIn and all your favorite platforms.